So today we are uh, continuing in our Advent series uh, during the season leading up to Christmas, our series about uh, waiting, um, because that's really what the season of Advent or the, the handful of weeks leading up to uh, Christmas Day and the celebration of Jesus' birth, that's really what it's all about, is, is looking back and, and celebrating that, that Christmas has come, that Jesus arrived, which is what Advent means, arrival, appearing, that Jesus has come once, and so we kind of join in with the people of God from, from all time as they were awaiting a Savior, but also we are awaiting uh, Jesus' second arrival, his second appearing, that he promises to come back and to fix all of the brokenness in our world and bring about the total healing that we long for. But in the midst of the waiting, Jesus gives us promises he gives us promises of what he brought into the world at the first Christmas and that he brings into our life even now as we await his return. And last week we began by looking at how, how Jesus, when he arrived, brought peace into the world. And, and we focused on how it's not just a peace between us and God, but it's also a peace between us and other people. And that Jesus was bringing about his kingdom of peace in our lives today. And, and now we look this morning at how Jesus promises to bring love. Brought peace last week, it's bringing love this week. Now when I say that, we got to do some work this morning though with that word love. Because I think in our day and age, in my opinion, um, we have cheapened this word. Uh, we have a very shallow understanding of what love is that we experience and, and oftentimes that, that we give out to other people in terms of what love is. Uh, maybe you've experienced love or at least it, it's said that, hey, this is one way of showing love is, is you know, sending a Hallmark card that the, the majority of which was written by, uh, you know, a writer, an editor, someone working for some card company, and they wrote it, and then the person who sent it to you simply, like, signed their name. Maybe they didn't even put, like, love. They just signed their name, and they sent it to you, and you open up the mail, and you get glitter-bombed. You know, I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this, or maybe it's just me, where they put all the glitter on the card, and you're like, oh my goodness, now i, I got to take a shower, and it's going to be with me for, like, a week, and you're reading a card that, that it's something. It's a person showing appreciation to you, but let's be honest, it's kind of the bare minimum to pick out a card that somebody else wrote and sign your name at the bottom. It's a cheap form of love, but oftentimes we think that that's what love is. Or maybe you've experienced love where someone, you're in need, you have a problem, and, and maybe it's a family member or a friend or maybe even a spouse who's kind of in the other room and they're just like shouting the directions to you of like, well, just do this. Just listen to me. Just listen to my advice. And maybe they're actually in the other room, or maybe they're just in the same room, but they're just shouting at you. Maybe not even shouting, just telling you, well, if you did this, then all your problems would be fixed. Uh, which, like, husbands, let's just be honest, uh, we are guilty of this. <laughs> because oftentimes, they're not asking for us to fix the problem. Um, people just want someone to be with them in the midst of it. But sometimes love can be seen as, well, let me just tell you how to fix the problem, but I'm going to still remain at a distance. And I'm just going to tell you what to do, but maybe helpful, but I, I think that's kind of a cheap, shallow view of love. 
Or maybe, and you may have experienced something like this, you're going through a particularly tough season of life, and someone tells you, hey, let me know what I can do for you. Let me know how I can help. And it's a nice phrase, they're offering themselves, and then the day comes where you need their help, and you shoot them a text, give them a phone call, you talk to them, and you say, hey, you said, hey, can I reach out if I need your help? I, I, I need your help in this way. And then all of a sudden, it, it doesn't happen. They come up with excuses. They don't respond. They kind of ignore it. They offered to help, but then when the time came to help, they didn't. And maybe you've experienced something like that where it's like, well, it was a nice gesture, uh, but there was no like, follow-through. So really, that love, nice thing to say, was kind of cheap and shallow. I mention this because I think this is the common way we experience love in our world. These are the common ways, and I'm sure you could think of others, where we call something love, but in actuality it's, it's being nice, it's, it's kind of responding with a little bit of gentleness or maybe doing a nice gesture for someone, and we label it love, but, but I got to be honest, like, I think that's, that's too shallow of a view of love. And, and I know why we do it. It's because when, when you actually look at what love is, real love is really hard. Real love is really hard. Because real love isn't just sending words, but real love is showing up. Real love isn't just telling someone what to do. It's like walking with them through the thing. Real love is sacrificing for that person, giving of yourself in that way. And, and I would say this, that, that for love to actually be happening with anybody, there has to be some level of sacrifice. You can't say you love someone, but you're unwilling to give of your energy, your time, you're unwilling to sacrifice anything in your life for that person. I would say maybe you, you like, like them, maybe your acquaintances. It's not love. Love is hard. And this, I think, is what makes Christmas so amazing. I think this, our, our struggle with love, that it seems to be in short supply and we struggle to give it, we struggle to like actually give that to other people, that's what makes Christmas so amazing. Because in Christmas, we see and we receive real, true love. Here's what I mean. Uh, if you were to go back a few hundred years, like 730-ish from the birth of Jesus um, God's people were in their nation of Israel, but they were not in a good place. Uh, they were in uh, despair. They were in hopelessness. They were in pain, much of which was their own doing. Like, they kind of, like, got themselves into trouble, and they're turning to God like, hey, God, we messed everything up. Can you come fix us? Can you come help? Um, which I think many of us can relate to that. Uh, our own decisions, our own stupidity leads us down a path, and we realize, oh, shoot, I need help. And that's where they were in. And so God sent to them prophets, and one prophet in particular was a man named Isaiah. 
And Isaiah came to them, and, and he began to speak God's word to them, speak God's promises to them in the midst of their pain and heartache and suffering and their lack of love. He began to speak promises to them that, that not only God sees them, but, but God is going to do something about it. God is going to fix it that God ultimately is going to send a savior king, or the Old Testament they would call that Messiah, a savior king from God, to fix it. And our reading from Isaiah 11 that we heard earlier in the service, it kind of walked through like what this, this guy's job description would be, what he would bring, and the, the results of when this savior king would show up. And so listen to what some of the things that, that Isaiah from God's word, he was saying to God's people, hey, listen, the Savior King is going to come, and here's what's going to happen. It says this in verses 2 to 4. It says, when he shows up, it says that the Spirit of the Lord will be upon him. He will have wisdom and understanding, counsel and might. He'll have knowledge. He'll have the fear of the Lord, which means that, that he kind of understands his priorities. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He won't judge by what he sees or decide disputes by what he hears. In other words, he's saying not that he's going to close his eyes and plug his ears like sometimes we do with our problems, but he's not going to be biased. He's not going to rule unfairly, but rather it says he's going to rule with righteousness and he will decide with equity for the meek of the earth, for the lowly. He will make sure that people who are hurt and downtrodden and overlooked will be restored and helped and all evil will be, will be done away with. And Isaiah is saying, that guy's coming for you guys. So I know you guys are in pain. I know you guys are downtrodden. I know you guys are suffering. But this Savior King's going to come and he's going to fix all the problems of the world, but wait, it gets better, and he begins to tell a little bit more, and he says in verse 5 that, that this Savior King, righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness is the belt of his loins. In other words, he's going to be marked by being a faithful and righteous leader, which on all ends of the political spectrum, let's be honest, righteousness and faithfulness seem to be in short supply in our political world. But this Savior King, who will be the King of Kings, he will be completely righteous. In other words, he will always do the right thing. He will be completely faithful to his people. In other words, when he says something, he does it. He won't backtrack. He won't act like he never said it, but he will follow through with what he promises. He will be righteous. He will be faithful. He will be a good king. But then Isaiah continues on and he says, listen, then, and here's what it's going to be like in his kingdom. In his kingdom, this is what's going to happen. Verses 6 and following. It says, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the lion and the fatted calf will be together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. I don't recommend that to anybody. The weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. You read this list and you're like, these are prey and predator animals. One of these animals looks to kill the other. That's the way the world works. But Isaiah says, when this Savior King comes and his kingdom begins to come into this world, 
that all stops. That, that people who are at odds with one another will no longer be at odds with one another. There's no more violence. There's no more bloodshed. There's no more pain. There's only harmony, or as the Old Testament puts it, there is shalom. There is peace. And Isaiah is saying, I know that you're in, you're in hard times, and there's violence, and there's discord, but when this Savior King comes, that will be fixed. And that's what he gave to his people 730 years before Jesus. And here's the thing. For 730 years, I think, if I were one of God's people, and if you were one of God's people, in those 730 years, we could look at God and accuse him of cheap, shallow love. Because these are just words. These are just words. God speaking through Isaiah to his people, I will fix it. I will take care of it. Your problems will be resolved. And we could look at God and say, that's great and all, <laughs> but those are just words. Until a baby was born in the backwater town of Bethlehem. Until these two teenagers <laughs> who weren't yet married all of a sudden realized that they were parents <laughs> in a crazy way. And this baby, who was born in the elements, in vulnerability, grew into a man who showed with his words and his actions what love looks like, and ultimately was crucified to a Roman cross. And it's there, in the cross, in the birth of this baby, where God's people can say, that's love. It's not cheap love. I love how John puts it in 1 John chapter 4. If these are uh, these are words that I would encourage you to take to heart. First John chapter 4, verses 9 to 10 says this, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. In other words, was shown, was made clear, was made manifest among us that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his only son to be the sacrifice for our sins. This is what makes Christmas so special because we see what real love is. Real love is God sending his best to you. John says that, that God sent us his very son. Like, God could have done anything he wanted he could have sent us a glitter bomb Hallmark card. <laughs> but he didn't do that. He sent you his very best. So, so when you are feeling those questions of doubt, God, how do I know you love me? How do I know you care for me? How do I know you're with me? Christmas invites you to see God didn't hold anything back. God sent his very best to you. And he didn't just leave it at, at, at a note. He sent you his son. 
And God shows you what real love is because he came near to you. God didn't just shout from the other room, you broke it, here's how to fix it. He didn't do that. He drew near to you. Which, let's just think about how crazy this is. You and I are messed up people. Like, let's just be honest. This is kind of, you know, open kind of therapy session. We're messed up people. You may not feel you're all that messed up. Trust me. Talk to the people around you. You're messed up. I'm right there with you. The God of the universe looked at you and me and said, I'm not scared of them. I'm not weirded out by them. I'm not offended by them. I'm going to draw near to them. And in Christmas, God shows you that he is not at a distance. He's come to be with you in your pain, in the heartaches that you go through. God says, I'm going to enter into them with you. So that even if nobody else understands what you're going through, there is one who does. Christ who has entered in to experience all the things you've experienced. To enter in and to not just tell you how to fix the problems in your life, but to be with you. And oftentimes, that's all we need. We just need to know that someone is there with us, walking with us, holding us, caring for us in the middle of the problem. And and Christmas shows us that's exactly what God has done. And God shows you that, that not only has he sent his best, not only is he with you, but he's also willing to sacrifice everything for you and me. There are only a few people, I think, in our lives who if we were to say, I will sacrifice everything for. That's a short list, I think, in our lives. I think we have a list, right? Like, we have a list of people that we're like, you know what? I will lay down myself. I will lay down everything for them. God's list is everybody. But you know who's on it? You are. You're on that list. God has laid down everything for you. He has given himself for you. He has faced the worst of this world, the worst of sin and evil, and he faced it for you to secure those promises. The promise that that he's with you, you can hold on to and know because he's, he's given you everything. The promise that you're forgiven, you can hold on to and know because he's given you everything. The promise that, that whatever pain you're going through, whatever darkness you're in, it's not going to last and there will be light that breaks in. There will be goodness at the end. You can hold on to that and know that's true because he's given everything. He sacrificed everything for you. This is what makes Christmas so amazing. Because this is true love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son into our world for us. There's a lot of things you might be excited for about Christmas. I imagine that for a lot of people here and a lot of people in our world, there's a lot of things that if you're like, here's what excites me most about Christmas, here's what gets me amped up about Christmas the most. Maybe it's the music for you. Maybe it's the like number of cookies that you get to eat with like no guilt and shame. Maybe it's the decorations. Maybe it's the lights. 
Uh, Maybe it's the time with family. Whatever it may be for you, those are all good things. But here's what people of faith remember. Here's what we celebrate. We celebrate that for as good as those things are, that's not what makes Christmas so amazing and so special. Those are good things. Really good things. The thing that makes Christmas so special is that it's where we see love. It's where we see love in its truest form. A love that gives its best, a love that draws near, and a love that sacrifices for the unlovable. That's what makes Christmas so special. So my questions for you are this. I invite you to consider these and take these with you today and this Christmas season. How can you and your family, you and your household, how can you keep that at the center of your Christmas celebration? The, the celebration that we see true love in its most beautiful form, Christ coming to us. How can you keep that at the center? Which may be kind of a crazy question to be like, hey, like, I'm a Christian follower of Jesus, like that's kind of like what we do at Christmas time. But here's what I know about myself and I'm willing to bet about you. It's oftentimes at Christmas where that truth becomes a secondary celebration. And really what we start celebrating is time with family, giving gifts, or whatever it may be. And those are all good things, but we let those things become the thing. So what is it going to be for you and your family to make sure that above all else, You're celebrating this, that love has come. Love has come to you. What can you do to celebrate that? But also, what can you do to show this type of love in your life? Because that's what will happen as you focus on that true love of God and Jesus Christ. You begin to not share the cheap, shallow stuff you begin to start giving the real deal. So what would that look like for you this Christmas season with your family, with your coworkers, with the people around you to not settle for the cheap stuff but to give the real deal? What are the things you can do because of the love that you've received in Christ that you can start to show them that same love in your life? What can you do in those small but important and powerful ways? I invite you to consider those questions. I'll close with this. If you want to go to the, the next slide for me. Uh, I came across this picture from a pastor friend of mine uh, a couple years ago. Um, and I've just always, it's resonated with me. It's been kind of stuck in my head and, and I don't want to share it with you. Uh, this is a picture, I know you, you, may, you may not be able to tell, but it's a picture of a, either a newborn infant or, or kind of a, a soon-to-be-born baby. Uh, and, and they're head down, you know, that's where you kind of want babies to be born, at least that's, that's the ideal way. And, and you can tell it's kind of either a newborn or still in the womb because the legs are, there's no strength in them, they're kind of curled up, the hands are together. And, and you see this, this little infant just, just sitting there. Uh, but but as you look closely at it, the, the way that the infant is drawn is actually with Hebrew letters. I know you guys probably can't see it, but I know if you were here, you'd be able to read your Hebrew. I know you guys are all Hebrew scholars. But those are all Hebrew letters, and those are actually Hebrew words, 
Hebrew phrases, uh, they're a collection of Old Testament promises about the coming Savior King. And it kind of is used as a way of, of drawing this baby. And I look at this and I think to myself, this is love. This, in its purest, most beautiful form, this is love. God has made promises. He's made promises to be with you, to forgive you, to bring you a good future. But he didn't leave it at words. He sent his very son into the world. This is what makes Christmas so special. For as John says, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he sent his one and only son to sacrifice for us. May you focus on that love this Christmas season. Amen.